0: Welcome to Say Hi to Your Pets, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Um, in this episode, I am going to be. I am currently tentative, tentatively talk, um, titling this episode Perfect Blue versus Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. That's the tentative title for now. Can I tell you something? Today I am recording at 6.29 a.m. on November 2nd, 2023. I tried two times to record a quote-unquote Halloween special for this podcast. I recorded like an hour's worth of material each time. Not that this is groundbreaking material or like great content or good content or even acceptable content for anyone. But you know, I took my time and effort and I recorded two hours' worth of material, and it's just they're gone. I can't i I talked about this in the last episode, and that episode is gone. I think what happens is, I try to use effects on audacity, and I use audacity because it's free and I'm broken. And I think what I do is, I at the end, after it's all said and done, I try to put effects on it. So I'm taking this hour's worth of material and I'm putting compre- compression to it and limiter. And that's, I think, when things go awry. Which is unfortunate because the, the whole point of effects is to make the audio sound better. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my external SSD drive, I don't know if it's my laptop, I don't know if it's Audacity. So what I'm just going to try to do for this episode, my third attempt to record episode four of this podcast, is just to keep an eye on the uh, waveforms, and by that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them, no matter how messed up they get, I'm still looking at them, so I don't know what that means. Um, and I'm not going to use compression or limiting, and hopefully I will be able to export an MP3 at the end of this hour. Holy crap! The first time I recorded this episode, well, it's not, it's that episode's gone, but I called it Halloween special 2023, and I was planning on talking about Perfect Blue, Rosemary's Baby, and Evil Dead Rises. By the end of the hour, I had spoken so much about Perfect Blue and Rosemary's Baby that I didn't have time to talk about Evil Dead Rising. Then that that episode floated into the ether. So round two of this episode, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about, and I decided to talk about Perfect Blue and Requiem for a Dream, And Black Swan. I don't remember. I think I might have tried to record this episode three times. One, two. No, I think twice. Anyway. So, that's what this episode is going to be about. But I want to just disclaimer that I don't consider. If you haven't. If you couldn't tell by um, minute four of this episode this this podcast is not scholarly and what i mean by that it's it's not a well researched well oiled machine it's just me kind of free flowingly expressing my thoughts and feelings and opinions and speculations i think if i ever made a scholarly episode of this podcast i would quit the next episode because it's too much it's too much energy too much effort too much brain Matter. Um, I, I just want us to keep this free and uh, quote unquote light. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's move on. Um, I hope everyone had a good Halloween. Every year, as I get older, I try desperately to get into the Halloween spirit and I fail miserably every year. I remember working in LA. Talking to my boss for some reason, I, I guess trying to make small talk and telling him, you know, I, I don't know what happened this year. Uh, Halloween just came and went for me. It's just gone. It's over. As if he gave a fuck about my Halloween spirit. I, I know he didn't care, but I, I, I don't know why I still have that memory, but it's, it's still in my brain. There's my cherry squeaking. Um... So this Halloween, I worked the night before. Actually, the the morning before and the morning after. So I was asleep throughout Halloween. But, um, you know, I, I look on social media and a bunch of people, you know, as adults, they go to Halloween parties. I guess that's the thing to do. I asked my wife yesterday, did you, your friends didn't, because they party a lot. They get together and I was like you guys didn't do a halloween thing and she was like no we all had to work and that just made me sad and then she said like filipinos don't really do halloween parties i'm like that's not that can't be true um so i don't know what that was about because every every time there's a birthday party even someone they marginally marginally know They get together and they drink and eat and karaoke and they always post on social media and they seem like to have a good time. So I felt like Halloween would be an easy excuse to get together, eat, drink, karaoke, wear costumes, whatever. But she didn't have anything. So like at the beginning of October, I tried showing my wife Rosemary's baby I'm having a weird memento thing because I've told this story this is the third time I've recorded this story and I I feel like I'm being pranked like if if someone this is like groundhog day or, I've never seen groundhog day but I I feel like there's a a, a fictional being John Malkovich um what's that Jim Carrey movie, the, the Truman Show audience looking at this footage of my life going, we've heard this story. This is the third time you've heard the told this story. We've heard it already. Why do you keep telling this story? I'm like, because the recording's messed up and I can't use compression. Um, so at the beginning of October this year, I tried showing my wife Rosemary's baby Because the 4K recently came out. I like the movie a lot. I've seen it before. And the first time we tried watching it, I was falling asleep. So I said, I'm sorry, I have to sleep. Second time we tried watching it, I was falling asleep. But when I woke up from my quote-unquote nap, she was dead asleep. So we were both falling asleep. Not because of the movie, it's just life is exhausting. And then the third round, three we finally did it. She wasn't too hot on the movie. She was kind of like, "Yeah, it was fine," but I like it a lot. Um, and you would have you would have realized how much I liked it if that second recording, no, first one. Anyway, I'm getting all mixed up. Let's talk about Perfect Blue. So. I watched Perfect Blue a third time. The first time I watched it by myself. Second time I watched it with my wife. Third time I watched it on Joe Bob Briggs' program. The jury's still out for me on Joe Bob Briggs because I think if he does a movie I like or I'm into, I think I would like that episode a lot but the first episode i w- i watched was um cannibal cannibal holocaust and some of his comments i i just thought sounded kind of dumb like the, the the main one that i thought was dumb was he was talking about the violence towards women in the movie and the violence towards animals and if i remember correctly he said something like well, people are more upset about the violence towards animals in this movie than the violence towards women, something like that. And I'm like, well, the violence towards women is, those women were actors performing in a movie, willingly performing in a movie as far as I know. And spoiler alert for Cannibal Holocaust, but the animals, quote unquote, performing in the movie were slaughtered on film for the purpose of this movie and they are long dead and gone and they had no choice in the matter. So that's the difference for me. So that was a big turnoff after I watched that episode. I'm like, I don't you know, Joe and Joe and Pat from We'll See You in Hell love Joe Bob Briggs and I'm like, I don't know if he's my jam. So after watching the Perfect Blue episode, I I really loved it. I actually tried watching Mad God and I didn't find the movie or the commentary interesting so i i skipped in the middle i don't know why like the movie sounds really interesting it's like this dystopian disgusting disturbing uh, stop motion stop motion animation movie i i'll have to try it again phil Tippett was making me uncomfortable for some reason (laughs) i don't know why I feel like he just wasn't smiling or wasn't laughing. And any minute he was going to like grab a knife behind his back and kill Joe Bob. I, I don't know. He's making me uncomfortable, but I should try to, um, I should try to watch that episode again. But so I really liked his commentary throughout Perfect Blue, um, some of the things I'm not sure is accurate, or I couldn't find any sort of citation. The biggest thing is, Joe Bob Briggs says that Darren Aronofsky bought the rights to create a live action movie. He's he straight up says that, and then he says not to not to remake the movie, but just to to take the movie for his own, his make his own movies. So, I, I don't know. There's a lot to go through. Um, first, let me focus on Perfect Blue. I'm all over the place on these episodes. I apologize. But Perfect Blue, let me try to make, um, talk about a synopsis without referencing Wikipedia. It is a psychological horror anime Directed by Satoshi Kon, released in 1997. I'm checking Wikipedia briefly, yep. And it is about this woman, this young woman named Mima, who, at the beginning of the movie, she is performing in her J-pop, Japanese pop group, Cham. And it's a live performance, and there is an audience and fans. And at the live performance, they announce that Mima will be, this will be her last performance with Cham because she wants to perform, she wants to pursue a career as an actress. And a bunch of the, the audience is like, what? No, what? And that's, that's how the movie kicks off. Basically, she, that begins her mental, emotional, psycho, psychological torment and dissent and there is a seemingly obsessed fan stalker who stalks her, and she starts seeing, like, doppelgangers, and the movie is a a, a excellent, a perfect blend of, of, you know, you ask the question, what is reality, what is fantasy, where does illusion begin and reality end, and, and that's... That's it. That's the movie. But it's it's a really good movie. I I want to watch it again just because Der, Darren Aronofsky references this movie and I know a lot of people love this movie so I want to watch it a, a fourth time especially after watching Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. But there's this the thing that stood out to me this third time watching it was just a little moments that just really make your skin crawl the first moment was when she after her performance she is walking towards like a limousine and a fan gives her a letter and so so you can hear the fan and she's like thank you thank you and you can hear the fans going like we love you you're amazing we'll support you and then all of a sudden in that same tone of voice one guy is like i love looking into mima's room and then she turns around and goes what and then it flashes to her in her room. And she's like, what the heck? And and then it flashes back to the limousine moment. And then she's like, what the? So it keeps going back and forth. But that moment, like the sound cuts out. And there's like a little reverb. And it's like, I love looking into Mima's room. And she's like, whoosh. And... Um, oh, I forgot to mention that I also watched Satoshi Kon, The Illusionist, the documentary. So hopefully I'll have time to talk about that. And um, the uh, another moment that stood out to me was when she first sat down to look at Mima's room, the website. And she was reading the blog on the website. It's like, today I stepped off... The train state the train on my left foot, and I knew that was a bad idea. So all day I was having bad luck. And she is so naive and innocent. She's like, ha ha ha, that's so me. And then really briefly later, really briefly later, I don't, I don't know what that was about. But moments later, she's like, why does this person know so much about me? So this torment gets deeper and darker as time goes on. And she starts to lose, um, what am I trying to say? Lose touch with reality. She's like, I don't know what's real anymore. I don't know what's fake. I don't know who I am. I don't know who this doppelganger is. And there's kind of a red herring where this guy Spoiler alert! This creepy guy shows up throughout the movie, and we can we start to the audience starts to assume that this guy is behind Mima's room, and he's the creepy stalker. But it turns out that there is a another creepy stalker who's obsessed with her, and she's actually manipulating um, this guy to. To, to do some actions against the real Mima and sh- the fake Mima is telling the guy, I'm the real Mima, you need to kill this other Mima who's posing as me and he is so lost, dead and gone. And he's like, oh, I, I, will, I will deal with her. I, I have to protect the real Mima. So it's like layer upon layer upon layer. It's a really good movie. It's such a good movie like it, I I have a hard time describing how I feel about the movie because it's it's hard for me to say I I love this movie. I guess it shouldn't be hard but it's weird saying that I enjoy this movie or because there's it's a very disturbing movie. You know, there is a scene in this movie where she gets raped but then you realize no she doesn't get raped she it's a movie within a movie so she is an actress portraying a scene in which she gets raped but it's still very disturbing because of the the art direction and the the voice acting and then later on in the movie the the creepy man stalker he attempts to rape her, and that's real. But again, we're watching a movie. It, it, it's, it's like messed up. But I do love the movie. Sometimes I get like, obsessed with... Um, like for Perfect Blue, for example. I purchased the Steelbook Blu-ray of Perfect Blue. I, I don't even know if it's opened. But I want to crack that open and check out the special features and such. But I'm interested in the book. It's one of those things where I feel like if I ever bought this book, it would sit on my shelf and I would never read it. But maybe I would. But I read some reviews saying, you know, it's not as good as the movie and how could it be? Or that's not true because it's the original work. But also, I believe they changed quite a bit from the original work into the movie. So I don't know. Maybe I would purchase the book. But I doubt it. I am now turning my head. I am looking at the the Ghost in the Shell three hardback um, book set that I purchased. That I I haven't even opened. I I watched the Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson, and I actually liked the movie a lot. The last time I watched it, I liked it a lot. I've seen the anime, but something about the anime kind of goes over my head and I didn't understand it. But the thing that clicked, sometimes I'm really dumb. That's just something I'm gonna admit. And the thing that hit me was that, you know, people were upset that Scarlett Johansson, a white woman, was playing this Japanese character. And I was, after the movie, I'm like, no, the whole point is that her new body is a a shell. I think that's what confused me about the original anime because she just looked like and sounded like and seemed like a Japanese woman because it's an anime and I watched it in Japanese audio. But the whole point of like the 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 live action, I think I would have been more confused if it was a Japanese actress actress actor playing that part because the whole point was spoiler alert is that it was a japanese woman who got into an accident and the only thing they could salvage was her brain and I, i'm no expert on the anime so i apologize if any of this is inaccurate inaccurate but i'm just telling you what I remember and my memory is shit. So the only thing they could salvage was her brain. So they they transferred her brain or uploaded her brain onto this new quote-unquote shell, this new body, which is like... I don't know if it's a robotic body or a, a metallic body or... I think it is. I don't think johansen I don't think Scarlett Johansson's was the body of a a previous existing human. I don't think so. Maybe it was. I don't know. So they they salvaged the brain of this previously living Japanese woman and in input it, insert it into this new shell, and that's why she appears to be Scarlett Johansson, but she was a Japanese woman in a previous existence. That's the whole I mean that's what I got, and I I didn't get that in the anime. Uh, again, I am quite dumb. I try to watch these things, and I try to absorb and and, and understand. But so I like that. Um, I like that live action one quite a bit. I know I know people hate on it. I, you know everyone's entitled to their opinion, including stupid people. Remember that, such as myself. Um. At the end of the anime, she's like lying next to the enemy and they're, they're talking to each other and they're like, if we meld together, we will become more powerful or you can just die or we can just both die or something like that. I don't, I don't quite remember. I should watch that again. There's no time. By the way, I'm supposed to be at work right now. I didn't go because I'm tired. One of the reasons you can input into the re- into the app for reasons for not going to work is fatigue. It's weird that they know that their associates are. Ha- one of the One of the choices to select is fatigue. So they know we're going to get fatigued. It's like a. What do you call that? Um not a premonition. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Anyway, perfect blue is really good. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Get the Blu-ray. Let me check on um Let me check if that Steel book is available. Perfect Blue Steel book. I'm holding the mic in one hand. I'm using the ATR 2100. It's only twenty twenty dollars 99 now. USD on Amazon. It's a steel book. Um, I think that's a really good price. I mean, I don't know. Um, and it's a limited edition steel book, Blu-ray plus DVD. Uh, check it out. Um, let's move on to Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream is a 2000, I'm looking at the Wikipedia, is a 2000 American psychological drama film directed by Aaron, Darren Aronofsky, starring Ellen Burstyn, Jared Leto, Jennifer Connelly, Christopher McDonald, and Marlon Wayans. It is based on the 1978 novel of the same name by Hubert Selby Jr., with whom Aronofsky wrote the screenplay. Let me quickly look at Darren Aronofsky's um, Wikipedia page. He is f- currently 54. Previously married to Rachel Weiss from 2001 to 2010, as if anyone was wondering. Children, one. Um... I want to look at his filmography. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but the filmography should really be at the top of the Wikipedia page. These pages are editable, and I don't know if there's a Wikipedia rule that filmography goes in the middle or towards the end. Anytime someone is clicking on Darren Aronofsky's Wikipedia page, they are looking for that filmography, I guarantee you. Filmography pie... I don't know what Pi is. Uh, um, Conceptual psychological thriller film written and directed by Darren Aronofsky was filmed on high contrast black and white reversal film. I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know what Pi is. I think Joe and Pat talked about life of Pi, and Joe said he hated it. Pat said he liked it. Requiem for a Dream, which I finally saw. 23 years after it came out. The Fountain, I have not seen. The Wrestler, I hear, is excellent and I have never seen. Black Swan, which I saw recently, finally. 13 years after it came out. Noah, which I've never seen. Mother, which I've never seen. And The Whale, which I've never seen. Um, Back to Requiem for a Dream, so let me try to talk about the synopsis. Um, I'm hard-pressed to give a synopsis, but Jared Leto and Marlon Wayans play friends slash best friends who, I don't know, you'd call them losers. I, I don't know what to call them, but at the beginning of the movie, they're just taking drugs not really doing anything with their lives i don't know if that's accurate i have i was kind of half paying attention to this movie unfortunately and in the previous episode where i talked about it it made me want to watch the movie again so i might actually i remember in the opening credits it said this the string sequences were performed by the Kronos quartet and i had a flashback because i believe the Kronos quartet performed at UC Riverside my alma mater and I believe they performed um the the theme from this movie I just uh burped and the first one was kind of cute and I was gonna leave it in but then I proceeded to burp even further that could be misconstrued for Almost vomiting, so I decided to, to edit it out um, for you, the, le- the listener. Anyway, Kronos Quartet. I think they played something by Sigur Rose S- Sigur Sigur Ros. Anyway, so they they are like they they're taking drugs at the beginning of the movie, and then throughout the movie, they get into the drug selling, drug buying business. And that's where their story goes from there. Jared Leto's girlfriend is Jennifer Connelly, who plays Marion. And she's she's a fashion designer, I believe, but she gets addicted to cocaine as well. And then um, Jared Leto's mother is played by Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn steals this movie in a huge way. I actually looked this up last time. But she was nominated for best actress. She should have won. She was amazing in this movie. Um it makes whenever this happens, I I just want to watch everything of their movies. I I I maybe that happens to a lot of people, but I just want to watch her whole catalog. She was so good in this movie and um you know the monologue when she's talking to her son she's like what do i got harold i got nothing i got no reason to wake up i got no reason to get up so she becomes fixated oh i'm sorry i messed up so she was nominated for best actress and she lost to Julia Robertson, Aaron Brockwich. I have never seen the movie. I have no interest in the movie. But you should watch Requiem for a Dream purely for Ellen Burstyn's performance. And so her character's arc is she, she gets a call. She's, I don't know what to call her. She's a normal older woman, but she's gullible. Man, I have a story, like my dad was getting scammed on the phone and this guy was trying to get him to log on to some website. And my dad was just taking it at face value and he was just like, he's just like, okay, what do I do next? And I got him on the phone and I yelled at him and I said, I I yelled fuck you at him on the phone and hung up on him in front of my parents. And I I don't curse in front of my parents. So it was a very weird moment. But I got so upset at this fucker who's trying to scam my dad. And my dad was just my dad. He's older and he just he's just happy to talk to people. He's a very he's the opposite of me. He's very gregarious. He, anyone he gets to talk to, he he will talk their ear off because he's just happy to talk to them, whether it's, um, you know, a nurse at the hospital, the mailman, the guy who delivers water. He he'll off he'll offer anyway. He, so I think he was just happy to talk this guy talk to this guy on the phone, and the guy was scamming him. Anyway, that's that's what this character reminds me of. She's a normal older woman, but she's gullible. So she gets this phone call, and she, he's like, Sarah Goldfarb, you have already won. You don't have to fill out any, you don't have to do anything. You're already a winner. We want you to be a contestant on this show. So she gets all excited, and she wants to wear this red dress, and um, the I I I read or I heard that Satoshi Kon was comparing this to Perfect Blue as well. The red dress, a, a woman trying to squeeze into a red dress where she doesn't quite fit, which is reminiscent of Rumi at the end of Perfect Blue. I apologize that I don't have all of these citations. Um, it's very it's actually very difficult from what I have seen. There's not a lot of citations, and a lot of it is blog posts from Satoshi Kon, and the translations are questionable at best. I wish I I knew Japanese so I could translate it properly, but it's just a one-click translation option on Google or Wikipedia, and it's not accurate. It's not dependable. It'll get you the gist, maybe, but anyway um so she's trying to get into this red dress and she can't quite fit in it so she goes to a doctor the doctor prescribes her these pills that helps with weight loss and appetite control blah 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 and she gets hooked on these pills and so her story arc is her trying to lose weight her getting hooked on these pills and she's slowly loses her mind also, another comparison with Perfect Blues, there's this scene where she's sitting on the couch and she sees a vision of Shooter McGavin and her other self talking and, like, making out at one point. And they're, like, making fun of the real Sarah and the real her house. Like, this house is dirty and unkempt and dis- disgusting. And so there's another, like... That's obviously a fantasy, but that's thematically very similar to Perfect Blue, like where does the reality end and illusion begin. Another thing is when Jared Leto's character, he's, he's running on a, on a pier towards his girlfriend Marion, and then sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not, and there was a quick flash between that fantasy and quick flash to reality. Um, there's also these quick cuts in Requiem for a dream that reminded me of anime i I'm assuming that's anime influenced I'm not sure, but it's like it's quick cuts between like cutting the drug, buying the drug, getting the drug from the dealer, taking the drug, injecting it, and then what it does to your cells like that felt very anime influenced to me and then you have um. Well, I guess that's the main four players. I actually, I liked Marlon Wayans in this movie more than Jared Leto. I don't really like Marlon Wayans mainly because, I don't know, he's always in movies where he's supposed to be funny and I never find it funny. It's just my personal taste. But I, I preferred him. I liked him in this movie. Like, he's a good actor. I just feel like he doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't always get the great greatest material. And Jared Leto, I kept picturing um, Jake Gyllenhaal for some reason. And I prefer Jake Gyllenhaal to Jared Leto by about 80 billion percent. But every time he spoke, I just pictured Jake Gyllenhaal in this um, movie. Anyway, the inf- the infamous scene in this movie is... It's kind of towards the end where... Um, the movie is trying to portray the torment that Marion's character Marion is going through. Jennifer Connelly's character, and so there is a quote unquote bird eye well, not quote unquote, but I heard this in a clip, a bird's eye view of Jennifer Connelly nude in a bathtub, same as Perfect Blue, and then it's it cuts to her underwater, and then she screams. It's a dir- it's a direct. It's it's identical to perfect blue. So here's the thing. I was... Um, when you think about it, when you don't know all the facts, and I still don't know all the facts, but when you first start to speculate, you think, why did Darren Aronofsky do this? And you, you start getting these dark thoughts, like this just feels like a a powerful, rich, white man who thinks he can do whatever he wants without consequence. And I was actually really negative, cynical, and upset about it. That being said, I watched this documentary, Satoshi Kon, The Illusionist. Darren Aronofsky appears in the doc, and he says... um. He says I met with Satoshi Kon and before I watched Perfect Blue and then after I watched Perfect Blue I was trying to think of the scene I was writing the script for Requiem for a Dream and then I emailed Satoshi Kon and I I asked him if I if I could write that scene into my movie and he was very generous and very flattered and he he was fine with it and it's so weird because me having my feelings and my opinions prior to watching that documentary i i still have a hard time believing this even though he said it in the documentary so i i don't i still refuse to believe the truth because i wish i could hear it from satoshi kon's words himself and maybe it's out there in a blog post but I, I, always, I have this weird hunching feeling that Satoshi Kon didn't want it in his movie. But I don't know. Even though Darren Aronofsky explicitly states that Satoshi Kon was flattered and generous and gave him permission to put it in the movie, it's something in me doesn't want to believe it. Which kind of adds to the weird fantasy reality illusion situation of satoshi Kone, perfect blue Requiem for a dream and black swan um it's weird so i i still don't know what the truth is let's say what he said is true i think it i think it's because it it turns it kind of boring like really that's the explanation you just asked him and he said yes oh that's boring it's actually more interesting if it's more of a mystery like did he really give you permission? Was he upset after he saw Requiem for a Dream? I, I don't know. But I think Requiem for a Dream was obviously influenced by Perfect Blue. The stories are different. And, I mean, at Perfect Blue gets darker as the movie goes on, as does Requiem for a Dream. And um, <laughs> Keith David enters... The picture of requiem for a dream and his character is just really creepy and disturbing and um but he's such a good performer it closes up on his teeth and as he gives a big smile he's like marion and, and like they sit on the couch and he's like he takes his dick out and then he's like I know you I, I know you like what you see, but I'm just saying, I didn't take it out for air. <laughs> oh, boy. And then at the end, for some reason, I had it built up in my mind that Ellen Burstyn's character, Sarah Goldfarb and Marion, had a double-sided dildo at the end of the movie. I don't know if someone made a joke about it, I don't know if someone got it wrong, and that's what I heard, and that's what I pictured, but that's not what happened. That's what happens to Marion, and then the guy says ass to ass. And that scene also, it felt pretty similar to Perfect Blue in the rape scene, where she's getting raped, and there's a bunch of guys cheering it happen. It's not exactly like the one in Requiem for a Dream, where she is performing these sex acts for money and entertainment of the rich but it feels similar and she does it in order to get more of the drug and ellen burston's character is so tragic at the end she she just eventually loses her mind and she ends up on like the subway or a train and She's like, I'm supposed to be on TV. Does anyone know the way how to get to the studio? And everyone's like ignoring her like she's a homeless woman, like a crazy homeless woman. And she's like, no, I got to. I'm supposed to be on TV, please. And uh, eventually, like these doctors get a hold of her and they they subject her to, according to Wikipedia, electroconvulsive therapy. It's very dark. Um Jared Leto's character injected his arm so badly that they have to amputate it. Marlon Wayne's character ends up in prison. <laughs> again, like talking about this makes me wanna watch the movie again. Because life is very dark and tragic. And I wanna watch it. Um let's move on to Black Swan. Black Swan is a 2010 American psychological horror film directed by Darren Aronofsky from a screenplay by Mark Heyman, John McLaughlin, and Andres Hines, based on a story by Hines. Starring Natalie Portman, Vincent Cassell, who I only remember from Irreversible, another very disturbing movie, Mila Kunis. Barbara Hershey and Winona Ryder in supporting roles. Let me try to give a synopsis. The movie is about Natalie Portman plays Nina, and she is at the beginning of the movie is very soft-spoken, meek, gentle, kind, not kind. I take that back. but just very gentle, but she's very ambitious and she wants to she's a very hardworking ballet dancer. And she seeks perfection. And um, her mother, played by Barbara Hershey, they have a somewhat loving relationship, but they don't go too... Well, they kind of do go deep into it. their relationship. There is some tension. Apparently, the mother gave up her dreams to have Nina... And I f- there is some sort of, like, resentment there. Um, so they, I feel like they don't go too deep into that relationship, but they do give hints. Um, Vincent pla plays this, like, famous, powerful ballet director, I guess. He's very good. Uh, Natalie Portman's very good in this role as well. Mil- everyone is good in this movie. Mila Kunis... Very good. Um, She plays a a dancer, but eventually she plays kind of like a doppelganger, kind of. She ends up in a bunch of fantasy sequences that you're not sure if it's fantasy or not. Um, Winona Ryder plays an older, let's say, retiring dancer um, with problems of her own. And this, according to the Wikipedias, it says that Darren Aronofsky says that this movie was not influenced by Perfect Blue, which is a weird statement to say because clearly it was. And you can look, you can Google or you can YouTube Perfect Swan. Uh, what the fuck? Perfect Blue. Perfect blue-black swan comparison, and you can see the scenes back-to-back. Actually, I'm going to do that right now. Um, I will give you a live commentary of a 20-second clip. Uh, Perfect. This is very hard with one hand. I really should pause the podcast and um, take this part out, but I'm not going to because... I'm an American male. Asian American male. Um Okay, it's a fifty seven second clip. So the first clip is the she's walking down the hallway or the alleyway and it's this woman and then when she walks past it 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 looks like her. I'm like shit, and she's like which is weird, because in Perfect Blue, it's a different scene. But I think there is a scene in Perfect Blue where... In Perfect Blue, they're showing like them in a car. But I think at the end of Perfect Blue, there is a similar hallway scene. Uh, see, see, this is messing with my memories, too. All of this is really interesting and kind of weird. Um... So, and then the next scene is (laughs) the scene where um she comes out of the in in Black Swan she comes out of the restroom and someone has written whore in red lipstick, and in Perfect Blue it's the she gets a fax that says traitor 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 a billion times. Oh man, this the comparisons are. Redick, um, a bunch of scenes where the reflection is different from the actual reflection. The scene where she's fighting quote unquote Mila Kunis, but it really it's her. And in Perfect Blue, she's fighting her doppelganger. Um, the scene where she said where she sees a, bill, a a million images of her, and in Black Swan, it's all those paintings of her that are speaking the infamous scene at the end of perfect blue. And she's, um, when Rumi is <laughs> Rumi's fucked up, dude. Rumi's like about to bow at the end of the performance in front of the lights. But really it's <laughs> the headlights of a truck. I'm like, get out of the fucking way, Rumi. And then in black swan, she is doing whatever a plie or whatever you call it in front of the lights um that's it so uh, and then on the wikipedia page where it says darren Aronofsky says that black swan was not influenced by perfect blue there's no citation for that either so who at this point it's just weird cuz clearly Black Swan was influenced by Perfect Blue not just in thematically but story-wise and I don't know what to call it call it scene-wise visually-wise visually-wise god damn it. um like the story of Black I don't think I did a synopsis but oh, I started to but basically, she's very ambitious, and then throughout the movie, she gets deeper and deeper into this role. And she starts having images and, and fantasies and dreams about, uh, about Mila Kunis' character. And she kind of mixes up who, who is Mila Kunis? Is it a dream? Is it fancy? Is it me? And the ending was quite good. I thought it was very interesting. I like Black Swan. And again, prior to watching the documentary, and he doesn't talk about Black Swan in the documentary. That's interesting too, now that I think about it. I didn't think of that before. But he doesn't mention Black Swan. He only talks about Requiem for a Dream. And um, this guy, Rodney Rothman, i think is in his name he talks about um into the spider-verse i don't think he's saying into the spider-verse was deeply influenced by perfect swan but i'm I'm, i think he's just saying he he loved perfect or he loved satoshi khan as an animator and a director of anime but it's nothing compared to like Darren Aronofsky where you could see scenes that were ripped off. And Black Swan, I think it's a very good movie. And whether it was, I mean, it clearly was influenced by Perfect Blue. I'm sorry about the chair. I'm just, I'm very sorry, but I have to adjust my body because my body's dying. And I feel like because a a week or so ago, I was very upset thinking about like Inception versus Paprika is a whole other bag. And I was getting very upset because I couldn't help but think that it felt like these rich white men, rich white powerful men thinking that they could steal from these, you know, quote unquote meek genius Japanese Asian creators, inventors, and claim it as their own. But, I don't know, is it just a case of influence? And like I said, Darren Aronofsky explicitly states in the documentary that he asked for permission, and he said yes. Should we... Can we take his word for it? I mean, Satoshi Kon died in 2010 at the age of 43 from pancreatic cancer. So, I wish someone would go through all of Satoshi Kon's blog posts and write and then make a book and and, and have it in English too, because obviously I can't read Japanese, but just so we can get the story from his lips. But again, um Joe Bob Briggs said something interesting where he said Satoshi Kon is not a reliable narrator and I think he did maybe he did that on purpose to be intriguing and interesting and mysterious. I don't know. But he according to Joe Bob Briggs, he Satoshi Kon said that the the most important seen in the movie is a quick flash of the two fish in the aquarium is that true i don't know um i i didn't see any sort of citation that links chris nolan ever speaking to satoshi Kone. i i don't know maybe but i don't know and then what if Chris Nolan saw Requiem for a Dream and saw that Darren Aronofsky quote-unquote stole from an anime? And what if Chris Nolan said, hey, I'll do the same thing, not knowing that Darren Aronofsky had actually asked Satoshi Kon for permission, if that story is true? So I don't know what's true or not at this point if i had to venture a guess or a bet i don't think chris nolan spoke with satoshi kon i don't i don't know if chris nolan has ever acknowledged watching or or being influenced or referencing satoshi kon at all but the the, the online sources like to use the phrase striking similarities So there are striking similarities between Requiem for a Dream and Perfect Blue, Black Swan and Perfect Blue, Paprika and Inception. Striking similarities. And um, hold on, I was just distracted. In August 2022, Rothman revealed on Twitter that he was the person who Chris Farley picked up and threw into a dumpster during Farley's appearance on Late Show with David Letterman in February 1996. <laughs> Rothman was a writer at the Late Show at that time. That's interesting. Um, So Darren Aronofsky in the documentary Illusionist, he seemed very positive and very happy you know part of me wonders if he was like if he was going to appear in the documentary and he was like yes yes i watched perfect blue and i it was an influence and i stole that or maybe not saying that exact but i wondered if he was going to be like yes 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 i it was an influence and it was definitely an influence on black Swan. he wasn't like that at all he seemed very positive and very happy and but again he does not mention black swan in the documentary that was released in 2021 um so these are all good movies i i actually love inception and i saw inception first before paprika and these american movies hollywood movies and i saw i say american even though i know chris nolan is half british half american but these hollywood movies always go bigger and further and make a lot more money than these japanese counterparts that's this kind of the saddest thing about it let me let me what happened to my all my tabs let me do a quick um perfect blue so the box office is is, is kind of confusing, but I'm just looking at the brief Wikipedia section. Box office of Perfect Blue made seven hundred and sixty-eight thousand fifty dollars, and it says U.S. and U.K. only. So I I'm not sure what that means, but um. Requiem for a Dream made seven point four million. Black Swan made. S- 13 million budget made 329.4 million dollars at the box office. Um let's do pep pap, pap smear paprika 2000 not the spice come on google 2006 it made $944,915 overseas. Again, box office on the page is kind of confusing. It says overseas, so it doesn't say local. I, I, I don't know why. Um, and Inception was huge. Um, inception on a budget of $160 million made $839 million. I actually loved Inception, I think, and I know Inception, they were con- they were comparing it with Matrix because you get connected into this machine and you're connected to a virtual world. Matrix itself being highly influenced by Ghost in the Shell, which came out in the 90s. So Inception came out 2010, Paprika came out 2006, I loved Black Swan. I thought it's a very good movie. Um, And I I think acknowledging this, and I just passed the hour mark, so I got to wrap this up, but acknowledging that Hollywood movies go further and farther and make more money than Japanese counterparts, knowing that, understanding that, acknowledging that is not going to change anything. You know, it's not like making people aware of that. People are going to all of a sudden watch Japanese media more, I don't think. Maybe if we should we protest? Should should we create a new hashtag, folks? Um that's all I got for this episode. Um I wanna apologize in advance just for my monotone voice and my personality and my soul and I I'm sorry. But this is me. This is me. Oh, I got to use the restroom badly. Um, Thank you for listening. I hope you had a wonderful Halloween. I hope your November has a great start. I, I don't know where that phrase was going. Take care of yourselves and each other. Don't abandon your friends to the wolves. If you have ambition in this life, make sure you fight for it. Figure out what you want in this life. Figure out the smaller steps that you need to do and start today to accomplish those goals. Don't give up on your dreams. Because if you do, I might too. Thanks for listening and say hi to your pets for me.